welcome to Recent Memories, where we reconsider what really mattered from 1979 to 2009, one year and one conversation at a time. This year is 1983. It's peak Reagan, Thriller, MTV, Bird vs. Magic. You've heard those stories before. We're going to talk about the other ones. And this is season one, episode one, All the Right Moves. Here's the question we wanted to answer for history. If Tom Cruise is willing and able to do everything that is possible on film, then why the fuck can't he act like an actual decent sporting athlete? Okay, we're really doing this. Welcome everyone to Recent Memories Season 1, Episode 1. My name is Maddie Wishnow. I'm super happy to be joined by my co-creator, Kevin Blake. And we are going to be talking a lot about Tom Cruise, the actor-athlete, starting with his first role as an actor-athlete in All the Right Moves. And this is going to be a deep dive, perhaps the longest inaugural podcast in the history of podcasts. But before we get into the movie, the story, the analysis, I just wanted to have a conversation with you, Kevin, about what prompted us to choose this story of all the stories in 1983 to kick off with. Because Tom Cruise looks really weird as an athlete. And uh, <laughs> there's something very strange going on. And I've also heard Bill Simmons and it piqued my interest. And I think it's worth a deeper dive. I mean, this is an American icon who has played an athlete a dozen times. And there's just something in the uncanny valley about Tom Cruise playing a high school cornerback that beyond the sociology and like what it says about 1983, it's just bizarre. And I think it's worth talking about because the more I've thought about it, the more that I think that Tom Cruise, when he was shooting all the right moves, had never seen a football game and particularly had never seen anybody play the position of cornerback. Like right. maybe he had walked by a park where people were throwing footballs, but there's just something really off. Yeah, you and I have talked about this at length and, and we do agree that there's something off in, in his physicality and it's more demonstrative when he tries to play an athlete. So, and I'm, and I'm glad you got a chance to sort of see it. This is the original text. This is like the Talmud of, of uh, Tom Cruise, the sporting athlete. So, and it, and it definitely deserves sort of deep interpretation. I do think it's also worth mentioning that we are not obviously the first people to tackle Cruise the Athlete or this movie. You know, many people have written on it, perhaps most notably, you know, The Ringer and, and Bill Simmons, I think if he could, would, would make a little cottage industry just talking about the oddness of Tom Cruise. We have the good fortune of, uh, and the luxury of just being able to only talk about it for an entire episode. So uh, we're sort of taking some of the crib notes from, from the Ringer crew and from the Grantland crew and, and, and double clicking onto that. Before we do that, and before we invite our panel in to discuss, I thought you and I could just review the facts of the movie because I don't know about you, but I had only seen this movie once in the 1980s before reviewing it again recently. So let's talk a little bit about what All the Right Moves is actually about. It was Which made- also, it's, an, it's also an odd movie. Like it, it, there's just something about it that it doesn't totally fit into one easy category. So it's even hard to describe. So I'm curious how you're gonna go about it. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a slippery movie. It's a slippery movie. Um, it was directed by a guy named Michael Chapman who this was his directorial debut, but he was a noted um, cinematographer. He was Scorsese's cinematographer. So released in 1983, 
made for about $5 million and grossed about $15 million at the box office, which is an adjusted sort of about $45 million, according to the internet. It really frames sort of Western Pennsylvania factory life in a very pretty but very cloudy and, and gloomy way. Um, the movie starred most notably Tom Cruise, a very young Leah Thompson, whose only real role before this was in Jaws 3D, Craig T. Nelson, and then a cast of other sort of high school kids and locals. So what is the movie actually about? Well, Tom Cruise plays Stefan Georgievich, who's a Serbian-American high school senior who is smart enough that he knows he can parlay his you know, nominal football skills as an undersized but hard-hitting cornerback into a scholarship at a college. And specifically, Tom Cruise wants desperately to get out of the Rust Belt town and factory life, and he wants to become a mechanical engineer. He wants to be the person who makes the things that the pipes go into, as opposed to the person actually making the steel, the raw material. And it was funny, at one point in the movie, Cruise is showing his designs, his engineering designs, Aaliyah Thompson, and it occurred to me that I have no idea what a mechanical engineer actually does. And I was struggling to sort of describe to you what I think a mechanical engineer makes. I was, I was thinking that I would call it fittings or a winch, <laughs> or a winch, but I don't, I don't think it's a winch. So I, I all have is fittings. Do, do yeah. you know? Do you know what those drawings were? Yeah, I, I think <laughs> that would have been the words that I would use. Like it's a winch. Yeah. I think it's yeah. a winch. The the thing that's like interesting about your description is that. That movie sounds like it could be like the air to like on the waterfront, yeah. like about like this athlete who wants to get out, but it's also like 20% Porky's and like 10% like the forerunner to Varsity Blues. Like it, it, it has a very weird tone. Yes. It, it seems like, you know, a Scorsese cinematographer made this bleak movie, brought it to the, the producers who saw Porky's box office and said, we need 20% more erections. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. this is fine. This is great. But this, you know, this is not what the kids want. The kids right. want to see Leah Thompson naked and they want to see people dancing in, in the locker room. A lot, of, a lot of dancing in the locker room. Yeah. And so what probably started off as a very bleak movie, they had to edit and like add um, extremely bizarre and ill-fitting sexual innuendo uh, on top of it. Uh, conflict two for Tom Cruise is that he desperately wants to have sex with his girlfriend, Lisa, played by a, a, a totally adorable young Leah Thompson. And Leah Thompson, who really loves Stefan Georgievich, doesn't want to go all the way because she's afraid she's going to just end up getting her heart broken when Stefan inevitably goes to college. You are also right that there are a lot of sort of balls swaying in the locker room. And then there's a, a notable scene early on that's completely out of place where Cruz's buddy Vinny Salvucci um, has his boner squashed uh, in between like the, the top and the bottom of, of an old school high school desk. I don't, was that scene as, as unnerving for you as it was for me? Well, I mean, it, it's maybe, this is also, a, it presages their lack of uh, knowledge of football. The physiological stunt that Vinny pulls off by basically 
turning himself on and self-arousing himself so profoundly that he lifts a desk into the air when their football coach, who's oddly also their typing instructor, turns around and Cruz, to protect Vinny, smashes the desk down on him and Vinny runs out of the room in, in really acute pain. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> that, that takes place and that's the first, I mean, that's like the first scene of the movie. So <laughs> everything you said about the bleak Rust Belt story, it's all there, but it's framed with high school hijinks which maybe it's also like maybe something similar with football, maybe with someone who never went to high school. Like maybe right. this is someone like maybe this is what high school looked like to somebody. Maybe they went to like Simon's rock or something where they like yeah. went to an early art program and yeah. they thought high school for like normal kids was a lot of like boner smashing and, uh, and dancing in locker rooms. Um, I, it, it also occurs to me that um, the Salvucci boner scene might have been a metaphor for the winches that uh, Tom <laughs> yeah. Cruise wanted to construct. Um, so, so Cruise is not the only one who has conflict. Everyone wants to get out of this town. His, his, his best friend, Brian, played by Chris Penn, desperately wants to get out of the town, gets a scholarship to USC, only to then inadvertently get his girlfriend pregnant and then choose to stay and raise a family. Vinny Salvucci ends up getting pinched for larceny. And then it's, it's really important to mention Coach Nickerson, uh, played by Craig T. Nelson in the first of obviously many turns as a coach, who is trying to revolutionize um, high school defenses so that he gets noticed and can get a job at some sort of Cal Polytech and get out of the Rust Belt as well. The, the movie drives up to a big game between Cruz's high school, which I think is called like Fernwood, and uh, their rival, which I think is called like Walnut Creek. And in that game, which is like a muddy, low-scoring affair, um, Tom Cruise ends up having a miraculous pick six, which we'll talk about in a moment, and then commits an egregious pass interference, which allows the, the Walnut Creek team to get the ball onto the goal line, only to then be stopped by the incredible goal line stand defense of Coach Nickerson. Then with one second to go, all Nickerson has to do is, you know, lunge forward or kneel forward. Instead, in the rain, he calls like a deep eye formation running play to Vinny Salvucci, who fumbles the ball. It's recovered by Walnut Creek. Walnut Creek wins. And then in the locker room, hysterically, Coach Nickerson calls out a teary-eyed Vinny Salvucci. Stefan, played by Tom Cruise, says, no, we didn't quit. You quit. Which then compels... He's arguable. I mean, the, the coach, I mean, Coach Nickerson, first of all, I don't know what Walnut Creek was doing because Coach Nickerson's theory was he was going to run a goal line defense the entire game. Yes. Right? Walnut Creek's coaching was absurdly inept that they couldn't figure out how to dissect go on on every play putting that aside coach nickerson i mean there was an element of clear self-sabotage i'd like to get into nickerson's psychology because this is a guy who desperately also wants to get out he had if if espn ran the numbers of chance of winning that game it would have been off the board it would have been 99.99999% because the game was done Absent Coach Nickerson secretly wanting to stay 
in Pennsylvania and calling the only play that would in, in rainy conditions, give them an opportunity to score Nickerson's in California. It, it, it was insane. And then the other thing it, for coach Nickerson, I mean, the only thing you see about him other than his like pleasant demeanor is there something sociopathic for him to look at a crying 18 year old in the locker room and tell him he quit is a total, totally uncalled for cruelty that's only matched by when, when Stefan says like, hey, ease up, he turns on Stefan and decides that he's going to ruin Stefan's life. Yeah, and, which, which he does. Which, yeah, which, he does. Which he briefly does. He, he, a couple things. So number one, immediately after the game, Stefan needs, needs to get home. And Coach Nickerson says, this bus is only for the team like you either find your own ride home or you can maybe go with the cheerleaders. Yeah. And, oh then, yeah. and then, and then later when a recruiter comes and asks coach Nickerson about his top recruits, suggesting that Stefan is one of them. Uh, coach Nickerson basically says, no, you don't want Georgievich. He has a bad attitude. Like the, the, the sadism and the pettiness of coach Nickerson is legendary. It's horrible. And like, I mean, Nickerson's aware of the, the outcome for people in the town. Like he's sentencing an 18 year old who, who can draw winches. Like he's got the talent um, <laughs> to a lifetime in, in a mill that's closing. He, yeah. he, you know, a life of, of poverty simply because he said, Hey coach, like maybe you shouldn't beat up on an 18 year old who's sobbing hysterically in, in, in the locker room after blowing the game. Oh, yeah. Oh, with, without question, 35 years later, Stefan Georgievich is an obese opioid addict, right? Like, there's oh, no... Well, the only other thing that, like, can, to me, confirms some degree of severe mental illness on Nickerson's part is that for 90 minutes, he's obsessed with a vendetta against his 18-year-old until he gets the job in California and without any explanation for why he has a dramatic turnaround, he decides he's gonna bring Stefan with him. You almost can't believe it just ended like that. It is a very brisk 90 minutes. I, my, my claim, sort of consistent with, with your suggestion, is that originally it was like a 75 minute movie and then the producers asked for 15 minutes of, of randiness or, or, or erections or, or, or more Leah Thompson. And, and, and that got them, that eked them over to the 90 minute mark and they could release it commercially. Yeah, the also amazing thing about it is just how jam-packed it is chronologically. There's only one football game. It takes place all on the spectrum of one week. And within a week, Chris Penn's character goes from going to USC to being married with a kid. Vinny's character goes from, I guess, popular tailback to guy who ruins his football season to getting hauled out of a classroom where just a week ago he was raising desks with his boner to being dragged out in handcuffs. Mm -hmm. And Tom Cruise goes from kind of cockily waving out recruiters from his family living room to basically cold calling colleges after being thrown out of his, uh, thrown off of his high school football team. It could not have gone worse. Uh, (laughs) That that week, as bad as the Rust Belt could be, Basically, three children's lives were ruined within a seven-day period. Yes. Yeah, we're, we're destroyed by, by sort of the proto-Pete Carroll of his era. It, 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 it was Pete Carroll's goal line play calling with Bill Belichick-level sociopathy. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> you and I did not talk very much, Kevin, about Tom Cruise, the athlete. So 
Um, why don't we talk briefly? Yeah. yeah. I mean, so Tom Cruise is a football player. They're clearly hiding him. There's mm-hmm. for a movie about Tom Cruise as a football player. There's only a couple scenes where he's playing football. There's a scene in practice yep. where he lines up at cornerback. And this is the first clue that he has never seen football. He kind of positions himself almost like a karate guy. <laughs> he has like one leg behind the other that's kind of bent and his arms up at like a karate chop angle as if the way he's going to get the receiver um, you know, jammed up at the line is like either a front kick or a karate chop. That's yes. the first thing. <laughs> the second is about four seconds before the quarterback puts the ball in the air, Cruz just tackles a receiver. Yeah. It, it, it would be the type of play that my seven-year-old, like watching the game, like he would say, like, are you allowed to do that? And I would say, no, no, no you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> um <laughs> So I think Cruz knew there was tackling in football, but not the sequencing of when right. a cornerback's allowed to tackle. So you're, you're absolutely right. The movie does hide him. He's easy to hide. He, he is, you know, he's a five foot nine, 160 pound. This is self-described uh, Stefan Georgievich. Tom Cruise is, is clearly smaller than that, but five foot nine, 160 pound cornerback. There's only two football scenes. And his heroic scene, of course, is when he catches like the biggest dying duck lob of a pass. It's worth mentioning that the quarterback on the other team, all he did all game was hand the ball off to Jim Brown. So he probably didn't know how to throw. And Georgievich catches it. And he then bounces off like four people, almost like like Madden football, Bo Jackson. He 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 looks completely ferociously untackable, untackleable, and then runs into the end zone on the pick six, and then doesn't really know how to celebrate with his teammates. He sort of looks around awkwardly. So for a brief moment, he looks like a monster, but at no point does he actually look like someone who knows how to play football. Now your early suggestion is that you don't think he had ever actually seen, he may have seen someone play football, but definitely had not watched cornerbacks play their position. For sure. I mean, like if you're someone that has seen the most casual level of football, yeah. um, if you've seen a game or if you've seen people play in the park, you don't know how, you, you've never seen a cornerback. And I, my guess is that the director really hadn't either because no, I mean, the idea of someone running goal line defense the entire game is, is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And then beyond that, like, even the pick six that Stefan has, that's the climax. I mean, like, if you wanted to paint Stefan Georgievich as someone that's going to be in the coach's doghouse, like, he's the MVP of that game. He does have a passive <laughs> appearance call, but he accounts for half of their points. Yeah. He, he's a star. And if there were recruiters at that game, Georgievich, they're going to say, this guy's a raw talent who just needs to be – if someone just teaches him – when to hit. I mean, this guy, this guy has maybe has special teams capabilities, like he can run back kicks. To you, the case is a little bit uneven. You don't find Cruz to be credible, but you also find him to be hidden. And you don't think he, you don't think he had really actually seen cornerback play. I, I want to posit early on that if he had seen cornerback play, that it was relegated exclusively to really old Betamax cassettes of maybe like Army Navy games in <laughs> um, in like a dungeon or a trailer that Scientology uh, president David Miscavige had set up for Cruz so that he just didn't have like a good foundation of material to look at and just had very outdated source material. 
my, my thesis is this. I don't know if you can tell how athletic Cruz is because if you told LeBron James, look, we're going to put you in a in tomorrow in a movie about Mongolian archery. Like, I, clearly LeBron James is an unbelievable athlete, but like what, like, if a Mongolian person was watching, they might say that guy has never seen Mongolian archery. Like he doesn't <laughs> hold the bow right. Right. And I right. think that Cruz might be a great athlete. He just, no one has ever told him, hey, your legs don't go that way when you're lining up as a cornerback. So, so why don't we close the book on this part of the case, wherein we are introduced to this sort of iconic version of the movie athlete that Tom Cruise would play again and again. He's sort of a, he's very physical, very nervy, and, and, and also plays this, what I would call like a principal dick, like a guy who clearly has morals and wants to be on the right side of things, but goes about it in a way where he's not super likable. And, th and that would be a character both in athlete form and otherwise that he would play again and again. From, from my perspective, there's just not enough of a case in all the right moves to determine why Cruz is unable to play a sporting athlete effectively or to the contrary, if he, if he actually is. So to really figure out what's going on, I wanna look at other films. And to do that, I want to invite in the rest of our panel, which as you know, Kevin includes really three of our closest friends, my brother and your dearest friend, Judd Wishnow. Um, my oldest and dearest friend, Christian Anthony, and our dear friend and your fantasy football partner, Josh Kaufman. So I'm really excited to have them. They are all on the spectrum of cruise generalists to cruise specialists. I think that there's a wide range of perspectives on cruise the athlete. So I'm excited to hear their perspective. So the films that we have on tap are Top Gun, Color of Money, Cocktail, A Few Good Men, The Firm, sort of War of the Worlds and Jerry Maguire. Uh, and we're gonna talk a little bit about Days of Thunder, but we're gonna try to do it in chronological order. And of course, we're gonna start with the legendary volleyball scene in Top Gun. I'm gonna show you guys the clip. And then Kevin, I'm going to ask you to describe for our audience what you saw. This is one of the most iconic sporting scenes probably of the last 30 years, 35 years, uh, where four elite Navy aviators play two-on-two -two volleyball at the most exceptional level. They, there are, it's, as it's Mav and Goose versus Slider and Iceman. I'm not sure what they're playing up to. At no point do they announce the score, but it's as compilation of Tom Cruise checking his watch because he's a date, slider posing, and a lot of scenes of Cruise jumping towards the net, and you never really see him make contact with the volleyball and put it over the net. And that's interspliced with scenes of people diving and missing. Yes. But when you zoom out away from them, you're seeing what I think would be I think that if you were to pluck four naval aviators in the 80s and had them play volleyball, that what you're watching is 500% better with it you could find, even if you got lucky as to which aviators you found. So here are my quick observations, and I, I'll leave the deeper analysis for the experts. Number one, who the fuck wears jeans to a beach volleyball game? That's insane. 
Number two, he's also wearing what looks like a very expensive watch. Number three, the net looks like it's about four to five feet off the ground. Christian, you've seen this scene about as much as you've seen anything on film. What do you see in Cruz, the athlete, the sporting athlete? Uh, and obviously, is you know, I've, it's 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 interesting to still see new things as much as I've I've seen it and appreciated the music and obviously the level of play. There's a couple things to react to, but I also want to share even new observations. I come back to that question of is is Cruz pushing for athletic scenes? In this case, I actually don't think he is. I think this is a scene that's forced upon him. Uh, I think this scene was fundamental to the movie. You need the thrusting, you need the oil, and look, Loggins, I'm sure, Loggins needed to get this content in the film. So <laughs> I, I actually, coming back to that theme, I don't think this is Cruz's call. So I think he's thrust into this position and has to make the best of it. Now, I agree with you. I think he's, he's, he's wearing Judd's dry hump outfit which I think is great. I saw, you know, the, first of all, Edwards is a phenomenal volleyball player. And, and, and there's a whole other exploration of his athletic talent. He's a good athlete. You can see it there. I think Cruz has got some distracting going on. I, and I hadn't really noticed it before. You got the dog tags, you got the watch, you got the, 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 the wrist wrap. So I, I think he's going into, you know, props, makeup and saying, look, get, get some things on me to take away from the fact that I don't have it. And then I, I think, Kev, I think you said an interesting thing back to the football scene, which may be a theme, I don't know. The, the net violations in this film are, are, are significant. I mean, any referee would look at this and these points would be called off. Cruz is all over the net. There's, you know, Goose does a, a two-handed hit, which is obviously illegal. So... <clears throat> You know, there's an element here of, of these guys are just not playing these sports right. Yeah, can I ask you a question? Yes. Do you think – why do you think Anthony Edwards – do you think it was Anthony Edwards' decision to keep his shirt on? Right question. Yes. Because there's only – there's four guys. Only Anthony Edwards has his shirt on. Do you think it was scripted for him to have his shirt off and he insisted? Or do you think it was just up to each individual actor what to do? I think two things. Number one, I think he let his play speak for itself. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I don't think he thought he could compete with the other shirtless players. Josh, Josh, I, you've, been, you've been patient. I know you've got a lot to say. Talk to us about Pete Mitchell, the volleyball player. So I think a couple things. One, if you watch, if you study Top Gun, if you study the film and you watch it many times, people think of it as it's that he's maverick and that he's on his own, but it's really a team sport. It's him and Goose up against Iceman and Slider. And it's hard to oversell just to what degree they were one team versus the other. And you almost, to bring that out, you need a team competition to do it. To Matt's earlier point about the shower, this scene is so much more sexual than anything that happens when Mav goes over to his, I don't know, 45-year-old astrophysicist uh, teacher girlfriend's place. Like when he's having a salad and a glass of white wine, it almost certainly feels like a sort of post-coital, you know, cigar at the end of a of a sexual romp that he's clearly just had with with his clothes off 
in close quarters with these other guys who clearly have baby oil like spread all over their bodies. I, I, so interesting take. The sex scene with Kelly McGillis over Take My Breath Away is almost an artistic reimagining of what happened on the volleyball court more it's, than it's, it is a, a literal sex scene. It's, it's it's the cup of coffee after the dessert, but the dessert <laughs> is clearly had out in the open okay. on the court. All right, let's 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 leave this one as a stalemate. Un underwhelmed is maybe how we would we would underwhelmed and confused are maybe how we would describe um, Cruz the athlete here. Okay. This is not a top four, top six sport, but it does require fine motor coordination skills. And it was a huge role for Cruz. We're gonna look at Cruz playing pool in The Color of Money. So this was a scene as Tom Cruise as Vince wearing a tight 80s style t-shirt that just says Vince on it, ostensibly suckering a much larger man in pool and in between shots giggling and dancing and doing again just to have a theme a series of kind of asian inspired moves to punctuate how good he is at pool when a paul newman i, I haven't seen this movie where paul newman looks on in what i can interpret as disappointment and horror and it increases until a crescendo of a series of nunchucks with a pool cue and crews laughing at the camera manically. So I wanted to include this for a number of reasons. Number one, the music in the Scorsese movie is incredible. Number two, I think this is the first time Cruz really shows off his new choppers and they look fantastic. And then number three, this does presage the Last Samurai, Cruz was getting ready for serious bow nunchuck fencing work here. Does this give us a better sense of Cruz as a sporting athlete? I, th this is more a fact check kind of thing. I'm fascinated that he's playing pool left-handed. And, and, and I say this as a, as a lefty, Judd, I know yeah. you can relate. Every every other sport we've seen him in, him in he's right-handed. This is I, very interesting. I don't know, guy. I I don't have answers here. I I know Cruz as a right-hander. Yeah. Every scene I know him in, he's a righty, and then he shows up left-handed here. I found that scene to be incredibly uncomfortable. I I because I've never seen the movie. First of all, there it, it looks like at the beginning he's sort of quietly trash talking, but I have no idea what he said. It definitely wasn't, it wasn't a good line. The way he's dancing is just, it's just awkward. He is good with the, with the nunchuck thing. He's good with that. And, and his, his form when he's actually on the table is not bad, but the shots you could see are set up perfectly. And the way he dances around the table, it's, it's just uncomfortable. The entire scene. How much of the dancing was in the script? I don't think he had any guidance. I think it, it was like show off, look flashy, be pompous. And I didn't feel like I saw any of that. I saw a guy trying very hard to look cool and he didn't look cool. Can I, can I ask a question? Yeah. Is there a possibility that again, with this thesis that he thinks that's what people do during pool? Like that he's yes. never seen people yes. play pool? Yes. 
we're gonna move on to the next scene because it is an actual top four sport. But I do want to conclude The Color of Money by sort of summarizing what we heard. Number one, why is it why is a righty playing lefty? Where there's more mystery added. Number two, dance moves that seem self-choreographed. <laughs> but in spite of those things, probably not a terrible pool player, not unimpressive. Teeth look good. So I don't think we're getting much closer to our answer, but I think as we watch him play basketball, I think we're going to learn a lot. So this is a scene as Brian Flanagan, a brief basketball scene from Cocktail. Let's watch, then we'll discuss. We saw a scene where Brian Flanagan is getting potentially unlawful advice about how to scam an unsuspecting woman while wearing uh, short gray athletic shorts and kind of pulled up white athletic socks in a uh, it's in New York City uh, playground with only really one hand. Like he uses both hands to put the ball in the correct, his right hand this time, he's a righty in this movie, and then removes the left hand from the ball and pushes it like a shot put. And then, except for the last one, where he does a hook shot three-pointer. Yeah. Uh, that um, <laughs> everyone goes in. I, I, I obviously want to ask Josh his thoughts, but I wanted to make one more note, which is that he, in the movie, Brian Flanagan is wearing like a mock turtleneck gray sweatshirt, almost mock, and then very short gray sweat shorts. If some if somebody came to a basketball game on on a New York playground wearing that any day after 1974, I think they get attacked. Josh, when you just saw that, can you tell us how it made you feel? And can you also tell us when the last time that shooting style was employed in any level above high school? So, um, you know, I was watching, I was trying to watch the technique. I'm not an expert, but I was trying to watch the technique as closely as I could. And again, I hate to be the overly positive biased killjoy here, but what I saw was good rotation. Uh, I saw a good follow through. He's clearly been coached because they're trying to get him to have the ball just in his right hand and have the left hand just guard it to the point where in one shot, which is kind of a set shot, as you allude to, the left hand actually comes completely off the ball. But, you know, it's, it's tough. I mean, we're not comparing him to a, to a college basketball player. You know, what I'm reminded of would be, say, a, like a Michael J. Fox and Teen Wolf. And, you know, I have to say, if, if they go one-on-one, -on -one, you know, I think Vegas sets the odds. I think the over-under is, like, cruised by eight or nine in a game up to 11. So... Wait, yes, wait. some negative. We didn't no see any way. dribbling, no which was a little suspicious, but no I way. thought there was some positive too. So you you think Flanagan beats Fox. You don't think Flanagan beats the Wolf, though, do you? No, 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 no. But, but, but he had some extraordinary characteristics that, that make that sort of a moot comparison. Is, is there any NBA player of the last 40 years whose shot you can compare Brian Flanagan's shot to? <laughs> he actually, it's funny because, and I'm not just saying this because they're both on the, on the shorter side. 
I feel like the way Spud Webb used to shoot was a little like that, where they were a small, they were small, they had a lot of arc, and it was almost like they're like following through as hard as they can. And so maybe he was influenced. I mean, Spud, I think, was coming of age at this exact moment. When you see him spin the ball, it's very artificial. Like, I think he felt like, I need to create something in between shooting. And it's this like weird artificial spin that I think he thinks a basketball player would do. Now, if you notice, he doesn't catch the ball that well. His hands aren't good. His command of where the ball is when he's not looking at it is not natural. So I, I, I found that interesting. And second, and I don't mean to harp on this, I'm not sure that's all Cruz. Like the, the hook shot is from behind. There's a lot of weird ed- – I don't know if he can reach the basket. I think that was edited. I think that, I think that was another person. I think I, there's some real stuff to dig into there. Can I ask well, a he question went four for four. Four. Can I ask a question to Josh? Yep. In terms of – has there ever been a shot taken from beyond the three-point arc in any competitive setting where the player used the hook shot? <laughs> not, not to my knowledge. I also want to suggest – that the only time Tom Cruise has ever seen someone spin a ball on their finger was Iceman. And that's his only reference point. <laughs> it, it feels like most of the people on this, on this podcast are in agreement, let's put soccer aside, that Cruise has never really played any organized sports in real life. I'm saying seen. I don't and think- I agree, I agree with you. I actually agree with you. So good, good transition. We're now going to watch Tom Cruise, the baseball player. We have been going chronologically so far. I'm going to go to a few good men, and then I'm going to jump to War of the Worlds to watch him play catch, because it's the two baseball scenes that we have. And then we'll talk about Tom Cruise, the baseball player. It's a good uh, pairing of scenes because we see Cruz the batter and Cruz the fielder. Um, the first scene in a movie that, like Josh, I love, uh, in A Few Good Men, he's taking batting practice at his naval base when Lieutenant Commander Joe Galloway approaches him and basically, without meeting him, criticizes his uh, commitment to his clients by playing baseball. But what's interesting in this scene is I think this is the strongest evidence that Cruz hasn't seen team sports. He holds his bat. He's batting as a righty. But I think, again, it's almost like if any of your kids played t-ball and they don't know which hand goes on top of the other when holding a bat. So he's kind of short-arming each throw, each hack, where he's popping up the ball because he's taking a lot of the rotation out of the bat. He also, in slow pitch at one point, drops to one knee as if he's like kind of like Kirk Gibson trying to like jack the ball. But it's unclear why he'd have to do that while playing slow pitch softball. The second scene is him spite throwing uh, with his son, where they're, again, there's some weird editing. At one point, it looks like they're like five feet away from each other, throwing a hard ball at each other. And then there's other scenes where Cruz is almost sidearming it in a weird way that if you were that close to somebody, would almost cause you to throw the ball at an angle 
where it'd be uncatchable for your son. So I'll, I'll leave it there. But again, I see more evidence for my thesis that Cruz has maybe walked by a field where people were playing baseball, but he never stopped and watched it. Great observations. I likened his swing to in the very late 19th century in the early days of baseball when the balls were heavy and dead and hitters would oftentimes hit cross-handed. It was a style. And I would imagine that there was a great thud when the ball would hit the bat as though the ball were too heavy for the bat to hit. He didn't look strong enough to put the ball into the air, which was strange because he's a strong man. This is, I would suggest of all of the sports, his weakest on, on evidence, Josh, What's your defense? Um, I was reminded, so I was skiing, I think two or three years ago with a big group, including some friends and their wives. And I got accused, and this was meant in an extremely derogatory way of posing at the bottom of my ski turn. And what was meant by this was that I was essentially trying, like I wasn't skiing for function. I was trying to look good and like look maximally smooth and explosive out of the turns. This was by a woman who's a very good skier and she meant it in the worst possible way. And that I wasn't really skiing, I was kind of on skis going downhill trying to look good. And Cruz at the, in the middle of his baseball swing does almost exactly that. He bends his knees to the point where his lower body almost touches the ground. And, and I think he's trying to show that he's powerful, but I, I coach Little League uh, I was the third or fourth assistant on my oldest son's team for a year. <laughs> and we never had anybody naturally use any kind of a dip in the middle of their swing for power. If, if I told you that David Miscavige gave Tom Cruise a video that was exclusively 1977 Reggie Jackson striking out and hitting home run highlights, would you buy that? <laughs> Probably not. So we've seen Cruz play football, basketball, baseball, and pool. I know this is not a top four team sport, but I thought we could get some insight into Cruz the athlete also just by watching him run. He has two famous running scenes in The Firm. I'm gonna play both of them real quickly and then we'll talk about Tom Cruise the runner. So in the first scene, uh, Mitch McDear is being summoned to the senior partner's office and walking through what looks like a vestibule where he's being called in. During that scene, he gets a phone call where he's being tipped off that they're cornering him and he needs to get out. Um, while Wilford Brimley kind of slowly approaches, kind of menacingly with a walkie-talkie, um, out of the room, out of, down a stairway, where he kind of pinballs off of a couple of walls and runs into the street. In the second scene at uh, Metro Stop, Deer also realizes that he's cornered and then similarly pinballs down a couple of flights of escalators, bumping into people, running into a busy street where he's almost hit by a car. Yeah, I, I know the movie well, and if, if would have would have applied at Bendini, Lambert, and Locke if if it, if I'd had the chance. So one of the scenes that was missed, or was when McDear goes out the window into the truck of cotton. 
and you can see him jump, you can see him fall, and you can also see him descend the truck and then run again. And there's also a scene when the albino guy is hunting him at the end where he, where he gymnastic style hangs from a series of pipes to, to hide from him and avoid detection. What I saw there was, and, and, and again, I, I'm seeing themes across all these, all these roles. He's not a tired to perform. Very hard to run with an attache case. Very hard to run in a suit and an overcoat. And, it, and if you look at, in all of these films, War of the Worlds, he's never appropriately outfitted. And what does that tell you? Is it that, you know, is he using wardrobe to mask that he doesn't have it? Does he not know better? Uh, or, you know, Juice, I, I know you're sensitive to the guy. You know, is he being poorly advised where he's poorly outfitted so he can't perform? So, you know, I, again, I, I just don't, I, I, I just don't know. He's never dressed right. I can tell you what I was watching for, and it's hard to pick up anything in the, you know, esteemed walls of Bendini, Lambert, and Locke, as you suggest. But I wanted to see if Brimley could close on him. And the reason I wanted to see that was very specific, because there are two totally gratuitous scenes in Days of Thunder where with only a very small head start, and I'm guessing it's lightly edited, a pretty overweight 60-year-old Robert Duvall outruns a cruise in his prime in a straight-up foot race. And it doesn't look close to me. And so <laughs> as a cruise defender, I worry about where we're topping out speed-wise. Before we make our final determination. There's one movie, sporting movie, that we skipped, and that was Days of Thunder. There was not a great clip that I could use as evidence, but I did feel obliged to talk a little bit about the character that Tom Cruise plays, because as I was looking through his filmography, I just kept stopping at the name... Cole Trickle. Trickle. Cole I assume... Trickle. That if you go to a urologist and say, I have cold trickle, <laughs> they immediately, they immediately know what to do. There's like a treatment for cold trickle, like you learn in your first year of residency as a, as a urologist. I said to Kevin similarly that cold trickle might be a nickname for a move that Sylvester Stallone asks his girlfriends to pull. <laughs> KB, to that point, his rival, I think, is named Rowdy Burns. That could also be a urologist. <laughs> and I think Russ Wheeler as well. Yeah. yeah. No, you don't have a cold trickle. Fun. You don't have a cold trickle. You have more of a Rowdy Burns. <laughs> <laughs> so we've seen all the clips. And I think that we might have enough evidence to convict. No, it's, it's an obvious conviction. I think... Um, the guy's an athlete, but has not the vaguest clue of what's going on in the sport. Yeah, I think that, that Cruz has conflated physicality with, with athleticism and coordination. And he's definitely very good at looking physical. What I'd like to do is to propose that we draft the top leading men from the 1980s at age 40, at their age 40, for a fantasy four-on-four -four flag football game, best of seven, win by two, one quarterback, three receivers, one pass rusher, 
three cornerbacks. And I want all of us to rank our leading men one to 13 or 13 to one based on whatever information we have available to. An 80s leading man fantasy draft. And here are the leading men. I have come up with a list that is completely arbitrary. I left off as an example, Eddie Murphy, Tom Selleck, um, uh, Kevin Costner, notably. I included uh, Ted McGinley for, for very biased and personal reasons, but here's the full list. George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, Kevin Bacon, Denzel Washington, Sylvester Stallone, Daniel Day-Lewis, Ted McGinley, Sean Penn, Dennis Quaid, Kurt Russell, Alec Baldwin. I'm gonna ask everyone on the panel to put together their one to 13, and then we will then figure out both the ADP and then who are the four people that we're going to work with. So the first draft we're gonna go through is Josh Kaufman's. Josh, I'd love to hear your draft board starting at number 13, taking us all the way through your top pick. So I'll just start, I'll start at number 13. I have Sean Penn. I'll mention later I have a couple reserves. I'd like to replace him with one of them. Uh, I would have personally disqualified him entirely for the episode around his trying to interview and then letting El Chapo get away in Mexico. To me, that was a that was a non-starter for my team. <laughs> Horrible for morale. Horrible. Horrible. Number 12, I have someone whom I think everyone likes. Uh, nobody would have anything bad to say. But in doing a very small amount of research, I found this quote, and it felt to me like a non-starter for the sensibility I want on, I want on my team. Hanks told Rolling Stone magazine several years ago about his, about his uh, high school days. He said, and I quote, I was a geek. I was a spaz. I was horribly, painfully, terribly shy. At the same time, I was the guy who'd yell out funny captions during film strips. But I didn't get into trouble. I was always a real good kid and pretty responsible. There was nothing about that quote that I liked as a potential team owner, as someone who's played a lot of sports. Literally nothing from the being good, not breaking rules to any of the spaz geek part. I was actually Uh, confused why he was on the list at all. Exactly. Very good point. And uh, at the the risk of being somewhat insensitive, uh, I find the recent uh, incident of COVID to be somewhat problematic from from an immune perspective. Are you concerned about his lung capacity, like in playing, or are you can, or what's what's the worry about COVID? I, I'm I'm just concerned. I think it's know, like health and vitality and 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 all those things are just really important to me, and I don't want to badmouth it, but it just it felt like a negative to me. Hanks is 12, 11. Uh, I went with the uh, venerable Kevin Bacon. I had two issues with him. Uh, one positive, one negative. Uh, positive was uh, I rewatched, as I'm sure many of us did, one of the last scenes in Footloose where he shows off his dancing moves. I was actually pretty favorably impressed. Uh, made me feel like on a football field, he's a utility player at worst. On the other side, uh, I've seen him walking around the Upper West Side many times, and he looks very skinny and unathletic. Uh, so that was a major negative for me. My number 10 uh, was one Brad Pitt. All I had to say, all I wrote in my note section here was uh, very handsome. Um, <laughs> yeah. Did, didn't have anything else to say. Yeah. yeah. I think that's, that's the complete story. Nine and eight, I actually sort of grouped together. Uh, I think this might be a little bit controversial. Uh, I have nine is Kurt Russell, eight is Alec Baldwin. Oh. Um, 
terrible. I wrote they both played high school sports, Russell baseball, Baldwin football. They both look the part. They're sort of athletic looking. But my team, I'm looking like you can't sort of do what everybody's doing and expect to win. I'm looking for something a little more. And I didn't really see it from either of those guys. So I, I have them kind of towards the back here uh, in the nine and eight positions. Those were my one and two. Russell played professional baseball juice. Did that not, did that, did that not come up? In, in- uh, there may have been a, a small hole in the research process on that one. Number seven, uh, I have Daniel Day-Lewis. I have really nothing bad to say about him. Uh, I mentioned earlier, my team isn't just about who's got big, broad, athletic shoulders. I'll tell you what I liked about, about Lewis when I went over his career is his intensity I love his attention to detail. Uh, I think among the group, I'm probably the biggest fan of Phantom Thread, one of his recent films. Uh, I just feel like he really shows off and it comes alive on screen the way he pays attention to the small stuff. And I think we all know in fantasy football, that, that's really how you win. You can't have enough of those guys. Number six, uh, I've got one George Clooney. I also wrote Handsome Here, recurring theme uh, in, in, uh, on my list. Uh, I've got, I'm sure we all found, good enough baseball player to get a, a tryout with the Cincinnati Reds, which I think was his uh, cross-border home team when he was 16. But I have a note next to that, that that's kind of just according to him in Wikipedia, and there's no real other record of it. It just feels like one of those things uh, that might be sort of apocryphal. And and it concerns that something about the whole thing just concerns me. I don't want to put him any higher than that. Yeah. But, but your draft board basically is handsome plus suspicious Reds tryout gives him five <laughs> spots over Pitt. That's right. Number five, I have an, and it pains me almost to have him this far down because I think we all have very, very positive feelings about, about this guy. But Ted McGinley, uh, he was a USC water polo player. I don't really know what water polo is, um, but I'm sure it means he was very athletic. Uh, my wife's from California, and she says that water polo players are actually the best athletes, which makes me especially suspicious. <laughs> well, I, um, I know him pretty well uh, because I'm friends with him now because he was at my 40th birthday. He's a very good athlete and still in incredible shape. So, And, and he's, he's almost 60 now, so I can only imagine what it was like at 40. Number four... Uh, I have a, a personal film favorite of mine, uh, one Dennis Quaid. I basically came across this quote on Wikipedia. Quaid was a cinema sports regular, having starred as an aging quarterback in any given Sunday, a running back in Everybody's All-American, and a cyclist in Breaking Away, uh, as well as former Devil Rays pitcher Jim Morris in Disney's The Rookie. I was pretty blown away by that summary of his cinematic <laughs> athletic career, and it just feels like there's something there that people saw uh, as a sportsman that would work on the football field for me. I saw that he was a kid from Texas who didn't play high school sports. I, you, you, seem to be, you seem to be overvaluing film athleticism. Well, I think he actually got cut. I think he actually cut. He got cut from his high school football team for being too small. I mean, he was playing, he was too busy with his Mandarin club and his dance club. I honestly, to I me, those are positives. Why was he on the list? I can't imagine the size of the Mandarin club in 1960s Texas. <laughs> Number three, and again, I'm, I'm actually paying to have him this far down. Uh, the star, both of my uh, early to mid childhood, as well as of this podcast, uh, Mr. Tom Cruise. Uh-huh. Uh, in my notes section, I have can do anything in a race car. Top flight lawyer for both naval and corporate defendants. Scholarship to Cal Poly for football. And then just a question, what am I missing? Uh, you're missing that he doesn't know. He's never seen a game of football outside of the set. <laughs> so you're going to have to do a lot of legwork to get him up to speed. 
Number two, uh, I have one Sly Stallone. Uh, I'll keep it very short. I wrote Rocky, Rambo, Roids, etc. To me, you put yeah. that guy in a football field, whether it's flag or not, he's going to hit somebody. He's going to be net winning positive. He's, he's going to impact the team in a positive way. I feel very confident about it. Are you not worried about the size? I mean, Stallone's like 5'7", Cruz is like 5'1". Are, are you not worried? Are you not worried about getting just getting manned up? No. Nope. <laughs> Cruz is gonna have a lot of like leg sweeps, and yeah. then uh... yeah, they're gonna they're gonna play low. Charisma makes you five inches uh, taller. In my number one spot, and and again, this is like to me, he's in his own class. Uh, I have one Denzel Washington. I think it we'll seems all... so obvious. It seems obvious. It, it, I mean, he he looks the part, and, and frankly, I, I think. There's a, there's a compelling body of evidence here. Nobody on this list, I don't think, can claim anything superior to playing uh, actual college basketball at Fordham for P.J. Carlissimo. I think we've seen in the Tony Gonzalez types the ability to transition from college basketball to football. You know, there's, there's a clear uh, trajectory there. And then uh, it's a little long, but I, I wanted to read a quote. Uh, Before you get to that, Josh, I, just, I, 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 I don't know if you know this anecdote, but when I was in eighth grade, I went to P.J. Carlissimo's basketball camp. I was going to call camp. this out, Kevin. Yeah. yeah. And um, this is very favorable for Denzel Washington in terms of his character. I met P.J. Carlissimo for all of, all of four minutes. And we all had to sit on the floor of the gym, kind of crisscross, sauce, what the kids call it, I guess, previously called it Indian style. And he came out, looked at us, and screamed at us for being spoiled and selfish and walked <laughs> off the stage uh, as the counselors gave out P.J. Carlissimo, Stephen Paul, teacher. So Denzel was that a fair, was the that? selfishness and spoiling, was that a fair criticism? Because, I mean, maybe he's just an unfiltered genius. I think what he heard was basically from our counselors was that we weren't behaving yeah. uh, and he didn't want to talk to us. <laughs> Even though it was his camp and that was the only interaction you're going to have with Peter Carlissimo. I think this quote's incredibly powerful. So we all know the classic Spike Lee film, He Got Game, basketball movie. And Denzel had to go one-on-one -on -one against Ray Allen, a future NBA Hall of Famer, or he will be a Hall of Famer, uh, who has the most threes in the history of the NBA. Uh, and this was the quote that Ray Allen had. He said, we cut at one point, he's talking to his acting coach, and I went over... I said to my acting coach, she's like, what are you doing? You're not supposed to let him score, him being Denzel. And I was like, this is Ray speaking. Susan, basketball's unpredictable. I can't zap my eyes and make the ball not go in. Once he shot it, I'm at the mercy of whether it goes in or not. And the score ended up 11-5 when it's supposed to be 11-0. This is literally Denzel going up and, and against an NBA Hall of Famer. And he's making it competitive. I mean, there's, there's nothing on the list to me. There's nothing you can say for anybody else on this list that's even a tenth as powerful. Um, I wanted to mention, by the way, that if I could knock off uh, two people from my list, and it would be Sean Penn and Hanks, the two that I would go with, and I, I don't know if this is within the rules, are actually fairly obvious. And they're both in the spirit of inclusiveness, which uh, I think is important here. The first one is, uh, would be the only female on the list. And, and I just think that there's some, there's some import to that. Uh, I have Kathy Ireland. Uh, one of my favorite uh, 80s movies was a great film called Necessary Roughness. And to say that she's the star of this, uh, looking at the film from a certain light, I think is almost an understatement. Her character, Lucy Draper, makes a 34-yard field goal in typhoon conditions to, get, to give Texas State a 3-3 tie versus Kansas. Both horrible teams to give them a shot 
at basically getting good to the point where they go to, I think, one and one in the season, and the 30 or so fans that are in the stands rush the field. One of the most difficult field goals I've ever seen in my life. She basically is taking on a century of exclusion uh, in terms of her gender, both fictional and real. To me, she's a no-brainer for a reserve to knock out a jerk like Penn. And then I've got another one, a hometown uh, boy from Detroit like myself, loves wearing a Tigers hat, Mr. Tom Selleck. Uh, happened to play basketball at USC. Uh, I think he's he really? Republican. I know that he was the head of the NRA at one point. I'm not saying anyone or or I am, am pro-gun in any way, but I feel like you get a little bit of diversity, a little bit of uh, spicy conversation uh, on the sideline of your team. Wait, 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 wait. So Selleck's an inclusiveness pick? He's a, he's a, you, you gotta, you gotta have, you gotta have different viewpoints. I mean, you, you imagine the conversation you're having with Sean Penn to say that he's being cut for Tom Selleck. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Pretty good draft juice. Not super intimidated by that team, but excited to see what the rest of the panel has uh, in their, in their drafts, starting with Judd. Uh, coming in at number 13 for me, it was a no brainer. Daniel Day Lewis. There's just, there's something, I, I, I love him as an actor. I know the whole argument, he can go method. And if you go method, he could become an athlete. I just think he's, he's off his rocker. And I, I, it is as likely that he will be good as he will just sit down on the field and do nothing. Um, so I just, the, the lack of predictability for me was tough. Tom Hanks coming in at number 12. There's just nothing going on there. Um, nothing to be excited about. Sean Penn uh, rounding out the bottom three. I think he's an angry, uh, an angry guy, a bad teammate, toxic in the clubhouse. He sort of has like a Bonds or a T.O. thing going. Yeah. Kevin Bacon, I, you know, it, I think Kevin Bacon probably has some athletic skill. I just, I'm a little underwhelmed by, by him as an actor, period. I just, there's, I think he's a good actor. I think I would like him as a person. I don't think he's a great athlete. That's all I could say. Dennis Quaid, didn't think he even belonged in the list because I don't consider him really a leading man. And he does play in a lot of sports movies, but I'm sure you guys all saw this. He was cut from his football team in high school because he was too small. So, um, and I don't think he went to a big high school. Tom Cruise coming in at number eight, great shape, uh, but he's short. Uh, He played soccer and wrestling, but got injured. uh, And he joined football, it said his senior year as a linebacker, but got kicked off the team. So my whole thing is, listen, like, there's a lot of talk about sports, but there's no evidence that he ever played any for any sustainable period or that he was good at it. And as I said the other day, if he was that good at soccer, why did soccer not make it into any of his movies? Coming in, number seven, Brad Pitt. So Pitt's in very good shape, but uh, do you guys remember the movie? It was uh, Across the Tracks with Ricky, Sh- Ricky Schroeder? No. Okay, it's, it's like a, sort of like a blue-collar movie. They play Cousins. Um, they're both cross country runners. Pitt actually has pretty good form. Um, but I think he doesn't want to get hurt period. Like, I think he'll do like, like, um, country club types. I think he's good at like country club types sports, like golf, tennis, that kind of thing. I don't want him on the football field. Alec Baldwin, uh, you know, comes in at six. My thing about, I did not, Baldwin did not come in that high for me until I I looked him up. So his dad was a football coach and he played high school Mm. football. He's also just a big dude. So I feel like, you know, I'm not going to put him in my starting lineup, but he's a good person to have if you're like, it's crunch time. You just need to like sort of uh, run the clock out like a running back. Stallone comes in at number five. Obviously, um, you know, I can't, there's not enough superlatives out there for me uh, as it relates to Stallone. I think at the age of 40, he was probably in the best shape out of all of them. Uh, I, I just, I think he's an incredible athlete. I don't know if he has great hand-eye coordination. So I don't know if I would trust him in the top four. Number four for me would be Clooney. 
I want you guys to know until I looked up Clooney, he would have been very low down for me. Did not realize that he played varsity basketball in high school. And he also had a professional baseball tryout. Yep. Josh is number one. Denzel comes in at number three. Denzel could have easily been number two. Um, but I, I had sort of a, an unorthodox drafting strategy. So I, I think Denzel's resume speaks for itself. Uh, he played college hoops at Fordham. Josh uh, talked about his experience and he got game. He's six foot one, but plays taller. I think he'd probably be a very good tight end. Now, number two and one, this is where it's a little unorthodox. Um, I picked two quarterbacks at number two and one. Uh, number two, it, and this was hard for me because I do consider him a very close friend, Ted McGinley, captain and two-time MVP of the USC water polo team. We all saw his throwing arm in the javelin competition in Revenge of the Nerds. He's just, he's in great shape. He clearly, his head's in the right place. We know he can throw. I have no doubt he can catch. I just think he's a great athlete, period. And, um, and, and number one for me uh, was Kurt Russell. I think Kurt Russell is, uh, he might be my Gary Oldman, Matt. One of the most underrated actors of our time. I find him to be incredibly magnetic. Do you remember, the, obviously, The Best of Times with, um, with Robin Williams? Yeah. He's so natural. He's so natural on the field. He has leadership skills. I think that's why they chose him for Miracle. I, I just love everything about him. His hair, his look, his, uh, his form. And I just think he's a fun guy. I think we'd like hanging out with him. So he has the best character name in, in Best of Times. What is it? Reno Hightower. Yeah. Yeah. So just, I think that alone, I think, shot him to the number one in my draft board. He looked good. He looked, he looked like a football Great draft. Thank you. Uh, if, if, if we were putting together our fantasy draft, we'd have a lot of alignment. We'd have some good discussions. So Not surprising. I'm going to go next because I do have a lot of alignment with Judd. And I'm, I, I'm almost I'm interested in Christian's draft as an outlier being last. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do Christian, uh, Kevin and then Christian. The bottom of my draft is a little different. Number 13, I mentioned, I violently agree with, uh, with Josh. I have Sean Penn, uh, hates people, hates sports, a lot of, lot of smoking breaks. Number 12, Cruz. Sorry, guys. I think he's divisive. I think that people are a little freaked out by him. He's undersized. And I think we just established he's not that coordinated. I, I have, I, I'm, not, I'm not grading him on any curve. I don't, I don't want him on my team. Number yeah. 11 is Baldwin. The father being a football coach is a big thing. Plus, he does have size. Uh, a little divisive, but very strong. And I feel like he can manhandle the receivers. I had Bacon 10. I think Bacon's got good feet. I think people generally like him. But I did want to read a quote from one of his co-stars from Up in the Air, Keith Gibbs, who talked about his basketball skills. Uh, here, When asked <laughs> if Bacon could play ball, Keith Gibbs said he really couldn't. He was a good guy, and he made me feel comfortable as far as the acting went. He relied on my basketball skills to really sell some things. He hit me in the balls with the basketball three times, and that <laughs> me. So I, actually, I think I actually probably should have discounted Bacon more, but I like him. He's fit. Right, so I had him at 10. Nine is Quaid. Um, because I value quarterbacks, and he played quarterback, a quarter, he played a football player twice, a quarterback once, a pitcher once. Great golfer, looks the part. I like the jib of his. What did I say? I like, I like the cut of his, the, cut of his jib. I like the cut of his jib. Surprisingly, I had Pitt at eight. Here's why. I, I just think he looks the part, and he brings weed, and the team loves him, and he keeps things really loose. And I really think that he's a chemistry guy seven i had a controversial choice at seven because i think he might be the worst athlete in the group but here's my call i have hanks at seven 
The guy fucking survived four years on an island. Like, I, I, like I'm not going to doubt him for almost anything. Everyone likes him. And he just figures stuff out. I just feel like he's going to figure out the opposing offense faster. And he Also, also, Maddie, great chemistry with Denzel. Great call. From Philadelphia. Right. right. Just FYI, in case he's and, in there. And, and, right, and Denzel's high on my board, obviously. Okay, number six is Clooney, another good chemistry guy, great basketball and baseball player. I just I couldn't find a lot of flaws in him at the Combine, so he, he was number six. Number five, I have Stallone. So of all these people, Stallone's one of the few that played high school football, albeit I think it was in Switzerland. Um, <laughs> also, I rewatched him as the goalie in victory where Pele was shooting right. on him. And Judd, just to add That's more data to your question about his hand-eye coordination, the guy looked good. He, Interesting. He, he, he was nimble. And then I, I just want to make that. an obvious call. If we give Stallone 30 days, he roids the fuck out of everything. That's true. Yeah. And he is, he is huge and fast. <laughs> But does that Pele still gets the bicycle kick by him, right? He, he does. He does. He does. I mean, that's that's the crane kick. I mean, that's an unstoppable shot, though. I mean, we can't. Um, okay, here's my controversial pick, and I know I got Day Lewis's four. He's he's making my team. It's a stretch. This is akin to when Judd and I drafted uh, Todd Heap number one, and then drafted Martin Gramatica in the third round in our first draft. Day-Lewis is in impeccable shape. Uh, I heard the director of In the Name of the Father refer to him as fairly athletic. And then <laughs> I'm just banking on the idea that if given 30 days, he can become Jerry Rice. Like, he's not... No, he's, he's Randy Moss, man. He's Randy Moss with that height. I, like, who, what, who, but it doesn't matter. Here's my point. If we tell him to become Peyton Manning, he becomes Peyton Manning. He literally will become the closest approximation of anyone we need him to become. And I don't have anyone else on the board who I can say that about. That's fair. Um, number three is Denzel, just on pure, on pure attitude, personality, um, and athletics, the combination of it. Again, a, a flawless applicant. It wasn't number one or two athletically for me, but intense, driven, has all of the makings of a great player at any position. Two and one were hard for me. Russell... I have the most obviously professional sports data on incredibly likable oh, and so likable played minor league baseball. It's, it's unassailable, but surprisingly guys, and I, and I, I'm doing this really without bias. The person on the board who was better at his sport than anyone and who played a sport that I believe is most transferable to the quarterback position is Ted McGinley. I think that being the USC water polo captain is yeah. better than Kurt Russell playing a ball in Portland. Now McGinley also played Stan Gable. He, as we know, he's incredibly likable. And again, I highly value the quarterback position and I don't see a better pure quarterback on the board than McGinley. So I have him one. But, and one of the reasons, so you guys know, one of the reasons I made him number two, because he could have easily been like a one, a one B situation is because I felt like you guys would have accused me of being biased right. because we're friends. Well, why, I mean, but why wouldn't you support your, I mean, what does that say? Then, then, why no, wouldn't you support somebody you speak that way about? Because I feel, I feel a little bit like you guys would have questioned the reason I did it. That's it. And, and the way you're responding right now makes it even, even more evident. <laughs> that you would have I, I, I won't change your order, Judd, but I'll, if it's a, if it's a coin toss for ADP, I'll note that. So just, that's all I'm saying. I yeah. love Kurt Russell though. I want to make it clear. I love Kurt Russell. I would watch but, him. Why don't you put him in 15th then? What's, <laughs> That's how you treat your friends. Uh, Kevin Blake, you're up. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll try to move quickly because there's a lot of overlap. 
Sean Penn's last, I just have bad for morale, as I said. I think the fact about, so number 12 I have is Day-Lewis, and I have him grouped with Cruz for a reason. Daniel Day-Lewis is the only person on the board who's not an American, and I'm not sure how much he knows about football, which is probably similar to Cruz, and I think you'd have with, <laughs> with if you have four guys on a team, you might have a lot of, like Daniel Day-Lewis might look over at Cruz doing his karate moves and get, <laughs> get very spooked as to like what exactly he's supposed to do. So uh, I have Cruz and Day-Lewis as, off, as, as not draftable simply because they don't know enough about football. I have Pitt next, and I, I was a little persuaded by some of your, your guys' position about him. He is from Oklahoma, which I think just has some built-in football points. But my impression of him is that he probably wouldn't take the game that seriously. Uh, would be talking a lot on the side. But, uh, but a good guy, so I have him kind of in the next group. Bacon, as I said, great feet, great agility. I'm worried about him getting off the ball um, on offense. <laughs> I, think, uh, uh, I think he could probably get pushed off a lot. So I think depending on how the game goes, Bacon uh, might not be your best choice. Uh, next, I have Tom Hanks simply because you're building a team. Um, I think if you're looking for the four best, Hanks would go lower. But I yeah. think he's up a guy who'd be good glue. I think he would do what, he need, do what the team needs to do to win. Fills um, gaps. Next, I have uh, Quaid. I didn't love the fact that like his number one interest was Mandarin and dance. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like growing up in Texas, that says a lot about his disinterest in sports. So I- I'm kind of... I know we're looking to their acting performances, but I'd rather see what they actually chose when they had a choice. And I feel like someone with his athletic build, if he has no sports history, that suggests something. So the next I have, I'm already up to, to six, is Stallone. Simply because I think if it's tackle football, I'm giving him a couple extra spots. <laughs> but for touch, I'd be concerned that you get a lot of penalties with Stallone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of tag, a lot of premature tackling. Um, why? Uh, why? That's uh, funny. Why? What's that? I said that's funny, but why? <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, why? Yeah. yeah. Um. I, I mean, look. Let's look at his look at his body of work. I mean, look what uh, he did in in two in Rocky two. I feel like Mickey's point to him about needing to be quick. It was his biggest obstacle, right? He can punch, but he doesn't have the agility of a bacon. I think what you're really counting on is like a year or two of Swiss football. Um, that's I, I, so, so I don't ag- I don't agree with Kevin, but I here's the here's the evidence. See, I would provide in the first four minutes of the first Rocky, he hits Spider Rico when he's down a lot, and and I, first of all, I have no idea how he's not disqualified in that fight, but that's that's the evidence on penalty ridden Stallone. Okay. I mean, we can go, this is a separate discussion. I'll just, let's look at Rambo. He had to be goaded to kill. This is a- He was actually, Christian, I I don't necessarily, I'm impressed with that call. He was also very, he was very deliberate in over the top. He's gentle. And when when Juergens tried to get Rocky to fight, he said no. But, but (laughs) is this, is this the attitude you want of someone who's a key part of your team? Well, it's a different discussion. Well, let's just, you brought it up. I had him number two 
All I was going to say is if you gave that guy the ball after 30 days of roids, who the, who's going to tackle We're him? We're playing now? touch. We're not playing tackle. Uh, so, some, sometimes touch turns into tackle. All right, next is McGinley at five. Uh, he, he almost got into my top four. Um, I think if people made persuasive points, the, the water polo. Uh, I don't really have much bad to say about him as an athlete. He just didn't pop. I think the fact that, like, look, um, uh, they lost in nerds. Right? <laughs> His team lost. Good call. Not a great – I mean, like, that's bad. <laughs> so, like, he, we saw him throw the javelin, but he came in second – to Lamar. I don't know if that's really what you want. Um, uh, four, I had Clooney. It's not just the, the Reds, but I listened to a very interesting podcast about with John Hamm about he was in a basketball league with Clooney, uh, and supposedly Clooney was a very good basketball player in that. I am so, shocked. I am um, shocked that he's a good athlete. And I think Hamm is a really good athlete. Yeah, he is. So I think the fact that Hamm is saying that Clooney was an excellent basketball player – and that he tried out for the Reds, I think suggests something. So I have Clooney at four. I have Denzel at three for the reasons we discussed. I have Alec Baldwin at two. Wow. I, so I think part of the problem is we're drafting them at 40. And I think people are picturing the huskier Baldwin, the Jack Donaghy Baldwin. But at 40, he was in great shape. And I think that with his rage that's channeled out even at family members. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think that's the type of, you put that with a dad who's a football coach, I think it's a pretty good combo. What movie and, was he in around the age of 40? Because I can't picture him being in that great a shape. Malice. Glengarry Glenn Ross is probably 42. He's wearing a suit. You can't really see what kind of shape he's in. So number one, I have Kurt Russell. Yeah. I love the throwing style of Reno Hightower. It's amazing. Um, uh, he's got a great form, makes quick, good decisions in the movie. And Tango and Cash. Tango and Cash. Just want yeah, to throw it out there. I, I think it's hard to go wrong with Russell. I love his leadership skills in Miracle as Herb Brooks. I think he's number one overall. I, I think of him a little bit of almost an Andrew Luck type of player. I think oh, he's a generation. I think he's a generational talent. Um, <laughs> and I think there might be other people who might have higher ceilings. But if you draft Russell, I think you have someone who you can slot in there for every game uh, for a long time. You're never getting fired. I'm very interested in CA's board. And Christian, especially if there are ways that you can compare and contrast with Kevin's board actively, we'd love to hear that. I I think we should be drafting to win, to not not keep our jobs. But I I think there's a couple things I'll just react to thematically. I also placed a high emphasis on anger. And I think that, I think that's good. I, I think that, that gets you up. And then the flip side of that, I actually think Hanks is poison to a team. You know, not having the edge that it takes to, to win. So I, I think Hanks is a drag on the team. I you think had you him want, 13? Huh? You had him 13? No, no, no. I didn't really follow the directions and, and yeah. go in that order. Um, but I had him low. He was, I had him at 12 uh, for the same reason. I had him at 12. But I, I think also one thing I thought was interesting with you guys, like I didn't do any research and I that would showed ask, so far. Huh? <laughs> that has shown so far. The, the lack of research has shown so far, but keep going. Oh, because I haven't given any of my picks yet. That's well, some of your comments suggest a lack of research. Yeah. Yeah. Just keep your job. <laughs> okay. Just keep your job. I think that, you know, I think you guys actually placed an overemphasis on. Uh, somebody's father's a coach and, 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 and like on, on pedigree. And I also think the, and I mean this very, these guys are very different people at 40 
than they were at 18. I mean, Clooney, you got, Clooney had, Clooney's launching vodka lines and, and hanging out with, with Randy Gerber at 40. So let's remember, these guys have changed. So let's remember, you know, I think you guys are placing a huge overemphasis on who these guys were early in their lives. People change. I, I know you didn't follow the rules, CA, but can yeah. you put them 13 to 1? Yeah, well, I, 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 I put them thematically in groups. So I put all the pretty boys at the end. Okay. So Pitt's at the end, Clooney's at the end. And then I put, like, I, I just think Pitt's got that sort of jacked, but I'm not an athlete yeah. sort of thing. And, like, and Clooney, I think, and I would put Denzel in that group as well. Like, these guys at 40, they're trying to win Oscars, okay? They, they, they've got <laughs> new teeth. They're into their hair. <laughs> Like, they're done. So I don't put these guys on the field at 40. Wait, CA, just for the, for the accuracy of the podcast, just give, yeah. them, num- give them numbers. All right, so I'm going to put, let's see, I'm going to put Day-Lewis last because okay. I, I don't even think I need He's picking daisies. He's picking daisies during the game. Uh, I'm going to put Clooney, Pitt, Denzel, and Hanks in any order you want between 12 and 9 or 12 and 8. So you've already just eliminated almost all the players who have played uh, uh, organized sports. Okay. Clooney, you want to let me finish my list? Well, you've already you've already sunk your team, but keep going. Clooney, Pitt, Denzel, and who was the other one? Clooney, Pitt, Denzel, and Lewis, and and crew and Hanks. Okay, got following it. that, I'm going to go next. Speaking of organized sports, Kev, to follow your theme, I'm going to continue to devalue that and put Cruz there. And <laughs> and I think we we have a, a wealth of information from our prior discussion about why he's there. I'm going to then put Baldwin and Russell interchangeably in the middle. I actually think, I think of Russell in like, I think of him in like The Thing and Vanilla. He's a lumberer. Like he's, he's like, he's like Travolta with the massage. He just lumbers. And like, <laughs> these guys are fat. They're not agile. And, and they, they just lumber. And, and I, I just, I, again, I, I put them both together. They're interchangeable to me. And over time, they, they just got doughy and let themselves go. That was Russell and who? Baldwin. Now, I like Baldwin's anger, but to me, the anger's covered in pen, and that's why he's, he's two for me. So I'll get there. So fifth is Quaid. I don't love his recent surgery and the ad career, but I, will, I don't know if you guys actually know this. I did give him directions in Utah once uh, when he was <laughs> How do you lost. Look? This is absolutely How do you look? true. He pulled up in an SUV, and apparently I, I didn't know where I was. I didn't know where he needed to go. And he got furious and we had words. So <laughs> I like that. You like that's a problem. I like that a lot. That bodes well for me. That's gonna put him at five. So I'm gonna get to four. I had bacon at four. Part okay. of it was the few like he's so agile and footloose and he aged well. Like the, the guy is is wiry, he's strong. I don't know if the rumor's true that he lost all his money, but he's angry. The, the Madoff thing, nobody could prove, but that guy is a fighter and he's out there. He's an earner. So, so I saw I saw him once at Barney Greengrass and he was looking at the prices for a while. Yeah. 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 So it might have been him. <laughs> they are very high there. I had Penn at three. I completely, I completely, you guys, I don't know what the El, the El Chapel thing was just the interview. He was in that movie. That guy is ripped. He is jacked. He's angry. He's ripped at what, 55 or 60? Yeah. I, I don't know what he's doing. He's off. He also, I mean, to, to, this is to, to help CA, 
I mean, the punches he threw during the Madonna days, they landed. Yeah. <laughs> Plus the smoking, the guy's still in great shape. So I, the smoking's working. Yeah. So I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep Penn at three. Uh, no surprise, Stallone at two for obvious reasons. I don't think I need to go into those. Uh, and then McG- I had McGinley at one. And I think that, you know, it's the, I think we know he wasn't the reason that, that the Alphas lost. Um, but I mean, his- He didn't arm, help, which he lost his event. Right? <laughs> he <laughs> lost his event. Yeah, because, of, because Lamar had, uh, they cheated. I mean, that, that javelin was not a regulation javelin. Yeah. So, so your team is an excellent high school dancer, a guy, Kevin Bacon. He's famous for most being a guy who danced his way to fame. Yeah, but are we going to talk reality or are we going to talk fantasy? Are we just this on their roles or their I, them as human beings? I actually think your team, if it were an NFL equivalent, would go 0-16. Okay, and you'd probably keep your job. Well, keep because your job. I won because I won the That's Super great. Bowl. So keep your job, Kev. I'm going to win championships. Let me just – there's a couple guys I had. I'll just throw them out. Interesting yeah. for discussion. One of them I added as, we, as, as you brought up, Gibbs. I, Donald Gibbs, <laughs> but but you know, I, yeah, I think that. And let's not mention, let's not forget Ray Jackson and Bloodsport. He would have beaten Chung Lee if he didn't get too cocky, right? He would have won that fight. He would have won the fight. Yeah, 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 he wouldn't fight. I also had Pat Morita, um, <laughs> similar, similar to Bacon. I just remember the scene on the fence with the Cobra Kai. He's just agile. I mean, at that age, imagine him at forty. Also, when you have Marita, you have like a player coach. You, I mean, he's like he's he's like a Belichick on the field as well. That's yeah. true. Oh, I, so I was surprising he was off. Um, and then I, it, it's something that just hit me was just Anthony Michael Hall, the Johnny B. Good yeah. stuff. Oh, but good call. Just real clear to me, but um, I, it was a good list to work with. So okay, good, good, great draft. I want to share the ADP with everyone. Uh, I'll, I'll share my screen so you guys can see it all. Here's the ADP in from 13 to 1. Penn, in spite of the last minute push from CA, um, <laughs> ADP of 10.6. Um, Hanks is the 12th, 12th ranked player in ADP. Day Lewis, I, I stridently disagree with, is 11th. Pitt is 10. So Tom Cruise. You know, Bacon would is next. We'll get back to that in a minute. But Tom Cruise is basically a bottom, you know, quartile flag football leading man athlete. That's that's what we're seeing. I think that's very reasonable. I, think I do fair. too. After the hung jury, uh, Bacon Bacon's eight, Baldwin seven, Quaid is six, Clooney's five, Stallone's four, Denzel's three. Uh, Kurt Russell's two, and surprisingly, Ted McGinley, not really a leading man, but Ted McGinley's number one. And then on uh, ineligible for 2020, redraft board for the USFL or 2021. I think Costner probably goes one, Selleck two. Maybe it could be Selleck one, Costner two. Then we got Michael Hall, Pat Morita, and then Kathy Eiler the kicker. Hell, hell of a draft. I do think that we got to some consensus on the one to 13. Now, Cruz, it should be noted, ended up nine out of 13, had an ADP of 8.4, which uh, placed him um, behind everyone except for Brad Pitt, 
Daniel Day-Lewis, who I, I, I take issue with him being ranked so low, Tom Hanks, and Sean Penn. Nine out of 13, was that the right call? It's not good for someone who's made a career playing an athlete. <laughs> right. Not great. I mean, right. um, you know, you take someone like Daniel Day-Lewis, and if you were ranking who would you want to be president or who would you want to be a tailor, it would be bad if he came so, <laughs> he, he came so low. Right. It right. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't bear well for Cruz's convincing five guys who grew up watching him play athletes that he was an athlete. That's right. I think, I think Kurt Russell has probably played a professional athlete more, but I think Cruz has, has played sports in movies more, maybe more than everyone else on this list combined. I mean, he plays sports in every single movie he acts in. Yeah, I mean, and also he has the ability to shape roles more than someone like Kurt Russell. I mean, right. Kurt Russell might, he, I mean, Tom Cruise can do what he wants. Yeah. So Tom Cruise, they, they will build it around what he wants to do. Yeah. So I guess for posterity, the answer to our question is that Tom, no, Tom Cruise cannot effectively act like a sporting athlete. And then to be fair to Cruz, in sort of relativistic terms, Cruz is not even an average actor-athlete in our assessment. Wow, Kevin, I cannot tell you how relieved I am that that wrestling match is over and we finally pin Tom Cruise, the actor-athlete, to the mat. Um, sort of a, a, a lifetime in the making. So thank you for, for all of your hard work. Thank you to our panelists, Judd Wishnow, Christian Anthony, and Josh Kaufman. And thank you listeners for hanging in there on this almost two hour cruising journey. Um, if you like this episode, please subscribe to Recent Memories and join us for some of our other episodes from 1983, including our exploration of the trauma and devastation of George Brett's Pine Tar home run, our, uh, our pursuit into 1983's Person of the Year, Lawrence Turow, and our inquiry into the best song in the best year in the history of pop music, that being Bonnie Tyler's Total Eclipse of the Heart. Thanks again, everyone. Talk to you soon. Thank you.